0: Hello, and welcome back to Undressed Historia, a podcast that discusses women in history and their legacy. I'm your host, Margot Collins. Today's episode is part two and conclusion of Cleopatra VII Thea In part one, we discussed the events of her life leading up to her death, and today we'll be doing more of an historical analysis once we conclude on her suicide. If you haven't listened to the first episode, I recommend you do so before listening to this one. Okay, so let's jump in where we left off, which was Octavian had arrived in Alexandria and learned that Antony committed suicide. And Cleopatra, along with all of her treasure, was locked in her mausoleum, ready to be torched if needed. Now we have two different accounts, one from Plutarch and the other from Dio, about what happened next. Cleopatra refused to come out of her mausoleum unless she could receive Octavian's word that her children would be safe. Plutarch wrote that when Octavian's guards broke into the room that she had barricaded into, she attempted to kill herself with a knife, but was unsuccessful. She then fell ill, stopped eating, and would only eat again once Octavian threatened her children. Dio wrote that she wasn't ill, but instead, once forced out of the mausoleum and into the palace, she received Octavian in an attempt to charm him. And when things weren't going well between the two, she begged him to let her die and join Antony. Octavian at this point wanted or required her to remain alive. So he ordered her under constant guard. So she couldn't attempt suicide again. Plutarch then writes that the trigger for Cleopatra's suicide was a message from one of Octavian's staff that he decided to send her and the children to Rome in the next couple of days. Cleopatra then requested that she be allowed to visit Antony's tomb to say goodbye. After she returned to the palace, she bathed, dressed, and ordered a fine dinner. Once the meal was over, she gave a sealed tablet to a servant to deliver to Octavian and dismissed the rest of the servants from the room except two women. Octavian received the message, which contained a final request to be buried alongside Antony. He realized she was going to kill herself, so he sent soldiers to her room When they opened the doors, they found Cleopatra lying dead on a golden couch. One female servant was dying by Cleopatra's feet and the other, who was also dying, was trying to straighten Cleopatra's headpiece. So how did she die? Another myth about Cleopatra was that she committed suicide by having a poisonous snake smuggled into her rooms in a jar or basket and then had it bite her arm. Truth is we're unsure. But considering it's not just Cleopatra who died, but instead three women, then the more reasonable choice would be poison. Dio wrote, and I quote, No one knows clearly in what way she perished, for the only marks on her body were slight pricks on the arm. Some say she applied to herself an asp, which had been brought to her in a water jar or perhaps hidden in some flowers. Others declare that she had smeared a pin with which she was wont to fasten her hair with some poison, possessed of such a property that in ordinary circumstances it would not injure the body at all, but if it had come into contact with even a drop of blood, would destroy the body very quietly and painlessly, and that previous to this time she had worn it in her hair as usual, but now she had made a slight scratch on her arm and had dipped the pin in the blood. In this, or in some very similar way, she perished, and her two handmaidens with her. End quote. Plutarch wrote basically a similar story. I'm going to quote him here as well as he goes into a little bit more detail. Quote, It is said that the asp was brought with those figs and leaves and lay hidden beneath them, for thus Cleopatra had given orders that the reptile might fasten itself upon her body without her being aware of it. But when she took away some of the figs and saw it, she said, There it is, you see. And bearing her arm, she held it out for a bite. But others say that the asp was kept carefully shut up in a water jar, and while Cleopatra was stirring it up and irritating it with a golden distaff, it sprung and fastened itself upon her arm. But the truth of the matter, no one knows. For it was also said that she carried about poison in a hollow comb, and kept the comb hidden in her hair, and yet neither spot nor other sign of poison broke out upon her body. Moreover, not even was the reptile seen within the chamber, though people said they saw some traces of it near the sea, where the chamber looked out upon it with its windows. And some say that Cleopatra's arm was seen to have two slight and indistinct punctures, and this Caesar, meaning Octavian, also seems to have believed, for in his triumph an image of Cleopatra herself, with an asp clinging to her, was carried in the procession. These, then, are the various accounts of what happened." Cleopatra died on the 12th of August, 30 BCE, at the age of 39. Octavian arranged her funeral and ordered that her body be buried with Antony in a royal and splendid fashion. The tomb of Cleopatra and Antony was lost beneath the Mediterranean Sea. Before we end this part of the podcast, in case anyone was curious, here's what happened to our children. Caesarion was around 16 when Cleopatra died, and he was executed shortly after his mother's death. Immediately after, Octavian annexed Egypt under Roman rule. The ten-year-old twins and four-year-old Ptolemy were taken to Rome and were made to carry heavy golden chains as part of a public display of Octavian's triumph. The three were then given to Octavia, who raised them alongside her own children and the surviving child of Antony's first marriage. The two boys, Alexander Helios and Ptolemy Philadelphos, either died during childhood they went under their sister's care when Cleopatra Selene married Numidian Prince Juba II about five years after Cleopatra's death when I started researching Cleopatra I realized I knew next to nothing about her I knew she was one of the last pharaohs of Egypt that she was beautiful then I remembered that her beauty was myth and she was actually homely but very smart but that told me nothing about what she did in her lifetime. And that gave me an idea. I took a poll from a wide range of people that I know asking without looking anything up, tell me everything you can remember or know about Cleopatra. The list of people that I asked all came from different backgrounds and education. However, they were all American. So I'm curious to know if people from different countries would have had different answers. I'll put a chart of the full results in the show notes, so please take a look as I found it really interesting. But I am going to list the top results, uh, meaning responses, that I received more than twice. So 14 people replied that she married Mark Antony, and that was the top result. In second place with nine replies was a fling with Caesar. Eight replies were in regards to her looks. They used the word beautiful or sexy. That reply was tied with she ruled Egypt and that she killed herself or something about a snake in terms of how she died or attempted suicide with keywords like that. The rest of the replies were more vague. Six replies used the keyword Egypt, five used the word queen and woman slash lady, four had the keyword lover, implying that she had multiple lovers. Then three people wrote homely or ugly, and that was tied with the phrase queen of the Nile the keyword headdress, and there were lots of movies about her. There were more replies, but the rest only received one reply or two, so I won't list them here, but they are included in the show notes. I find it fascinating that the top two results of this poll was regarding Cleopatra's love life. It wasn't who she was, or something she did, or anything about her alone. It was the men she was connected to. And it wasn't even a political connection— The wordings on each reply was a romantic or sexual connection that Cleopatra had with these two men. It's not until the third most popular reply do we have something just about her. She ruled Egypt, which was tied with committed suicide and that she was attractive. Let's go further into her appearance. I received other replies to the poll about her looks, which also included she was Greek, bald, homely, black hair, and a dark complexion. It was also one of the few things I heard about her before I started researching. Two things to keep in mind. The first thing is that beauty isn't a fixed concept. What we think is beautiful depends on our time and location. So features we think are attractive now were not necessarily considered pleasant back then. And what ancient Egypt considered attractive was not always the same case in Rome. The second thing is, we're not exactly sure what she looked like in terms of features and ethnicity. Coins and statues were hardly uniform. Some coins showed a strong masculine profile, mirroring that of her father's. And some statues showed a very feminine face. In terms of ethnicity, Cleopatra was descended from Greeks. However, we don't know the identity of her paternal grandmother, and the identity of her mother is also questionable. Plutarch, who was alive during Cleopatra's lifetime, wrote on her appearance and intelligence, quote, Her beauty, as we are told, was in itself not altogether incomparable, nor such as to strike those who saw her. But converse with her had an irresistible charm, and her presence, combined with the persuasiveness of her discourse and the character, which was somehow diffused about her behavior towards others, had something stimulating about it there was sweetness also in the tones of her voice and her tongue like an instrument of many strings she could readily turn into whatever language she pleased so that there were few foreigners she had to deal with through an interpreter and to most she herself gave her replies without an intermediary to the ethiopians triglodides hebrews arabs syrians Medes, and parthians It is said that she knew the language of many other peoples also, although the preceding kings of Egypt had not tried to master even the Egyptian tongue, and some had indeed ceased to speak the Macedonian dialect." In addition to what I just read, we have some examples of Greek and Roman records of Cleopatra being an intellectual. However, her identity continued to change over time in the Roman world, and not always for the better. The image of Cleopatra as an intellectual would survive thanks to medieval Arab historians. In their writings, we see a Cleopatra depicted as a quote-unquote virtuous scholar, a philosopher, alchemist, physician, and mathematician. The Arab scholars' records of Cleopatra are overall a positive one, a good queen with knowledge of philosophy, science, and mathematics. They also credited her as an author on a series of books on different topics, such as cosmetics and gynecology. These scholars had access to Copic, classical, Jewish, and Arabic texts, as well as the monuments, and Egyptian storytellers who continued the tradition of an oral history. Since Egypt was taken over by the Islamic forces in 640 A.C.E., these sources were readily available to the Arab scholars. Overall, it appears that the legacy of Cleopatra, from Egypt's memory, is a positive one. And perhaps the most important thing I'm trying to emphasize here is that it's one that's concentrated on her achievements as a ruler, rather than sexual conquests and appearances. Now, I'm going to switch back to the Roman take on Cleopatra. Let's start with Octavian. He edited and destroyed official Roman records, as well as published his autobiography. That shows he clearly wanted to be remembered in a certain way. As for his version of Cleopatra, she's reduced to a quote unquote, immoral foreign woman that a brave Caesar used for his own goals and one who seduced a weak Antony. In other words, nothing about what she did, just that she was involved with two Roman men. This could be a case of history is written by the victors, so he could have had it recorded the way he wanted, or Cleopatra's dealings with Rome that did not involve Caesar or Antony were too insignificant to write down. Poets of Octavian, or I should say Augustus at this point, portrayed Cleopatra as the villain, a sexually deviant woman drunk on power against the hero Augustus, the man who defended Roman ideals against this foreigner. Celebrating Octavian's victory at the Battle of Actium, Virgil described Egypt as a barbarian, and Cleopatra was the, quote, the greatest outrage of all, end quote. Another poet of Augustus referred to Cleopatra as, quote, whore queen of Canopus, end quote. It would be much easier to use the Egyptian woman as the opposition to Augustus rather than a fellow Roman man, i.e. Mark Antony. Many other Roman histories that include Cleopatra sometimes mention her intelligence, but she is usually just a seductive side character to the main Roman players. Perhaps that is why Cleopatra was portrayed the way she was in Roman texts. She's not the main focus, and maybe I'm being a bit too harsh on those sources. The stories she's included in are not about Egypt or Egyptian rulers, more so Roman men who happen to encounter her. For example, Plutarch, who I've quoted a couple of times in the first episode, Uh, while those quotes were from an English translation of one of his works, Life of Mark Antony. So it's justifiable in a way why we know so little about Cleopatra from a Roman point of view. They were never really focused on her. Those who study history today are well aware about the dangers of a biased source. It could alter facts, exaggerate, or even leave out information to stress a certain point of view or outcome. That being said, I don't think the secondary sources I used were biased at all. Their goal, same as mine, was to humanize a woman whose life was mixed with propaganda and myth. It's especially difficult in this case since Cleopatra lived over 2000 years ago. Should you choose to do further reading on her, and I encourage you to do so, I only ask that you take in everything with a grain of salt. Cleopatra VII Theophilopater was a fascinating person to study and discuss for these past two episodes. She was an intelligent and ambitious woman who was fluent in multiple languages. Once she was forced off the throne by her brother's advisors, she not only found a way back through the help of Julius Caesar, she was able to secure the role of co-ruler for the rest of her life. Through the use of the cult of Isis and her children, it was clear she planned to continue the Ptolemaic dynasty. With building projects that continued in a prosperous Egypt during her reign and recovery of lands that expanded Egypt's sphere of influence, it seems that Cleopatra tried to build a stronger Egypt that could have one day rivaled Rome. These accomplishments are what we should remember her for, as opposed to her romantic entanglements. While her involvement with both Caesar and Antony were very important to her life, they were not the only part. Cleopatra is a recognizable name throughout the world, but depending on geography, the answer to who was she is different. Her legacy should be just as popular as her name, and one day it could be. Thank you everyone who listened to this two-part series on Cleopatra. I hope you learned just as much as I did. Join me in two weeks for my next topic, Joan of Arc. With this episode concluded, I request that you review my podcast on iTunes and any other app you get your podcast from. Currently, we're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, as well as a few others. Any feedback would be greatly appreciated, and I can be reached by email at undressedhistoria at gmail.com, as well as other social media platforms. My website is up and running, so please check it out at undressedhistoria.podbean.com You can also follow me on there too and stay up to date on new episodes and announcements. You can listen to episodes on there also. Undressed Historia is researched, written, and produced by me Margot Collins. If you enjoy this podcast, you can follow me on the following social media platforms to stay up to date on everything. Our Instagram and Facebook is Undressed Historia Podcast. Twitter is Historia underscore pod. Thanks again and tune in next time.